Colossians chapter 4. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights, last time I preached, we just finished the book of Jonah. And I'm trying to find the mind of God on what's next. And so while we're waiting on that, I feel impressed to go to Colossians 4 this evening. Colossians chapter number 4. Um, if you would follow as I read, I'm going to read verse 2 through verse 6. Again, this is something that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. And uh, follow as I read, beginning verse 2. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all also praying for us, that God would open us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for everyone that's here. We know that some are away. We trust that your help in the delivery of that baby that's scheduled today, help others of ours not feeling well. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us as we open your word. Lord, never could we read it without you showing us something we haven't seen before. Help us tonight. Help us to understand what Paul's writing. Help us to take it to heart. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know of all the letters that Paul wrote, most every letter he wrote was either to a church he started or it was to the leader of a church that he started. So when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, he was writing to a church he'd started. When Paul wrote Ephesians, he was writing to a church in Ephesus he started. One thing that sets this book of Colossians apart from all of his other books, Paul never went to Colossae. It's likely that uh, when Paul, for two years, uh, had a Bible school, that he sent some of his students out, and they went to Colossae. Paul had never been to this church. Say, Pastor, where would you get that from? Well, back up there to Colossians chapter number 1. Colossians chapter number 1, and uh, uh, let's see where Paul gives us some hints of that. Uh, look there in Colossians 1, verse number 3. Paul says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul is not giving first-hand account of the faith that he saw in them when he started that church, because Paul never started this church. Some of the young men under him started it. And so Paul heard reports. Again, look there in verse number four. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints. So Paul has heard some good reports about this church. And that's why he writes to them, even though he'd never been here when he wrote it. Back to Colossians chapter number four. Uh, verse 2 would not be uncommon at all for Paul to write. He, Colossians 4.2, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. And many times Paul talked about praying. He talked about being thankful. But then in verse number 2, he says, continue, uh, sorry, verse 3, 
with all praying also for us. So, so he commends them for praying. He commends them for being thankful. But then Paul gives a special prayer request that he wants Christians he's never met to pray for him about. Pastor, what's his request? Look there in verse 3. With all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. Paul is saying to these believers, I've heard about your faith. I've heard about your love. I've heard about your faith. And because you have a testimony of being Christians that love God and love souls, I'm asking you to pray for me. What for, Paul? I'm asking you to pray for me that God would open a door as I try to speak to lost people about Christ, that God would open doors for me that God would help me to know what to say, that God would help my words to be effective. Really what Paul is giving from verse 2 to verse 6 is some helps on how we can be an effective witness for Christ. You know that uh, as a church we try to get out two times every month. And uh, the first time for November is coming up this Saturday. Most of you are already involved in our outreach but not all. And you know, as a pastor of a church, I pray that every person in this church would be involved in evangelistic outreach. And you say, well, preacher, I know that I should. I just, I just can't seem to get it to work. Then you might learn something tonight. Again, my title, if you're writing things down, helps on being an effective witness for Christ. Well, preacher, I've always been under the persuasion that it's the pastor's job to witness. That's what we pay him for. Some have that idea. And certainly a pastor should be a witness, but he's not to be a witness because he's the pastor. He's to be a witness because he's a Christian. And folks, if you're saved, someone took the opportunity to bring the gospel to you. Well, we now have been given that same responsibility to carry that gospel to someone else. So that's what the passage is about. He's saying, I know that you're praying people. I know that you're people of faith. You're people that love God and love people. I need you to pray for me. Again, verse number three, with all praying also for us, Paul and his team, that God would open unto us a door of utterance. Pastor, is it really the responsibility of every Christian? Keep your hand there in Colossians. We'll be right back to it. But look there, if you would, in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter number 8. First time we read about Paul. But he was lost. His name was Saul. In Acts chapter 7, you're turning to Acts 8. When Acts 7, we know that the deacon, one of the deacons of the Jerusalem church, he was dragged out of the city and he was stoned. And while he was stoned, people laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul later became Paul. Saul later got saved and, and he became one of the most effective Christians in Bible times. But in Acts chapter number 8, Saul's not yet saved. Well, let's look what happens. Acts 8 verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death, Stephen's death. 
And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad. So Saul is just being a mean man, trying to find Christians, arrest Christians, hurt Christians. And so the people in Jerusalem, they're fleeing. What are they doing when they're fleeing? Well, look at verse 4. Acts 8 and verse 4, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, preaching the word. And so we're not talking about the apostles here. We're talking about common, ordinary Christians. You say, well, how do you know that? I didn't purposely didn't read the end of verse 1. Look right there in the middle of verse 1, great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So when these believers are fleeing from Jerusalem, the apostles didn't. They stayed in Jerusalem. But the other Christians that fled, verse 4 says, everywhere they went, they witnessed of Jesus Christ. Say, so, oh, preacher, you're making it sound like it's the job of every Christian to be a witness. That's true. Okay, you don't need to ask. Please keep Colossians. Uh, but look over there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, we're just kind of parking on this point because, again, some Christians have convinced themselves that it's not my job to witness. Let somebody else do that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look there in verse number 17. Very common verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That statement, all things are become new, would be true about how many Christians? All. Everybody that got saved, it ought to be true that God has made a miraculous change in life. So what we read in verse 17 is talking to all Christians. Let's keep reading verse 18. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us, that's believers, to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To be reconciled is two people that were enemies and someone brought them together. That's to be reconciled. We were reconciled with God by Jesus Christ. And now we are given that same ministry of reconciliation. So again, what I'm saying to you, it's to be a witness is a responsibility of every believer, but to be an effective one. Pastor, how can I be an effective one? Back there to Colossians chapter 4. Again, we're looking at uh, helps uh, to being an effective witness for Christ. Look there in verse 2. Colossians 4 and verse 2, continue in prayer. Then look at verse 3, with all uh, praying also for us. Do you know the very first help that Paul gives to being an effective witness is what I call the preparation for an effective witness? And it's praying. Just a lot of prayer. And I know that seems so simple. And I know that many of us are planning to go out already this Saturday morning to be a witness. Some way. Knock on a door, put a track in a mailbox, hold up a scripture sign. But I wonder, have we already begun preparing ourselves to do that by praying? He said in verse 2, he said, continue in prayer. Sounds like it's not just a one-time thing. It, it's a repetitive thing. 
Uh, verse number three, he says, with all praying also for us. And so the very first thing, if you would, on helps to being an effective witness for Christ, uh, consider the preparation for an effective witness. Much prayer. Listen, uh, preacher, you have a, uh, after we have our meeting on Saturday morning, we call upon somebody to pray, and they pray, and then we go. If that's the first time that you or I have prayed about the witnessing that we're about to do, I can guarantee it would be more effective if we had already prayed long before we went out Saturday morning. Someone has said this. They have said, praying isn't everything. But without prayer, you can accomplish nothing. I think that's fair. Folks, in all that we do, it's got to be bathed in much prayer. So, preacher, how can I be an effective witness? First of all, how much praying have you put in before you ever went out there with tracts in hand, sign in hand? How much praying have you done? Well, preacher, I have to be honest. I, I, I don't really pray at all about it. Well, he said... When he talked to these Christians, would you pray for me? So I say, first of all, the preparation for an effective witness. Uh, how many times we quote this verse, James 4, 2, you have not because you ask not. And many times we apply that verse to things that we very much would like to have. You have not because you ask not. Well, let's take that promise in this business of being an effective witness. Maybe we're not as effective in our witnessing for Christ because we haven't spent much prayer. So I challenge you, if you wait till Saturday morning before you pray first time about going out, start seven days before, six and five and four. Lord, would you please help me? Okay, pastor, you're saying to be an effective witness, it would help to pray, but what would I pray for? If you're writing notes down, jot these down real quick. Pastor, what exactly should I pray for? Uh, first of all, that you'll go out. <laughs> you say, what? Listen, this fle my flesh is no different than your flesh. And the closer we get to an opportunity to go out there and take the gospel like we're supposed to, doesn't the devil provide dozens and dozens of excuses why we don't need to, why we can't? The dog is sick. So the whole family has to stay home because the dog is sick. You know, the car is overheating. Uh, I, I have to shovel my back. Your back sidewalk hasn't been shoveled for a week. Why would you have to do it during this whole winning time? I'm saying the first thing you should pray for is, Lord, get me out there because I know I need to go. Second thing you might pray for is, Lord, would you, your spirit, direct me where? Now, listen, in this town, we have 13,000 people. In this province, we have 1 million people. In this country, we have 30-some million people. There is no shortage of people that we could talk to. But wouldn't it be great if the Spirit of God showed you exactly who to talk to? Well, you see, Pastor, I'm handed a piece of paper about the streets that I'm to put the tracks in mailboxes, or the streets. Yeah, but you have a whole page with five or six streets. Wouldn't it be great if the Spirit of God directed you which street? If you're holding up scripture signs, you know, you can make a pick of what corner you stand at. 
And you might say, well, I always pick that corner. And that might be true up to now. But wouldn't it be great to be praying all week long, Spirit of God, would you please show me what street corner to go on? I'm just saying it would be better than just flipping a coin to say, Lord, would you drag? So one, Lord, I need to go. Help me to get out there like I should. Spirit of God, direct me where to go. Something else to pray that you could be praying for is that God would open a door of opportunity, and I'll develop that more in just a minute. Uh, but when a door opens up, that I not be a coward. You know what? I don't know what you think about Paul. My impression would have been that Paul was never nervous about speaking up for Christ. My impression of the Apostle Paul was he was a bulldog. And yet he still said in these verses, would you please pray for me? that I would open my mouth boldly and speak. I think we could pray, Lord, when you open up an opportunity, give me the boldness to speak. I think you could pray for that. I think you'd pray, Lord, when I speak, help it to be what they need to hear. Uh, Lord, uh, when I speak, what would you do in that situation what I can't do? Very first help on being an effective witness for Christ is much prayer. Much prayer. Uh, and you say, well, preacher, I, I do pray. I, I pray for days before, and I just, there, is there anything else I could do? Look again at Colossians 4.3. He said, with all praying also for us. You know, again, Paul has never been to Colossae. Paul has never been inside the four walls of this church. Paul has not met these people, and yet he's asking people that he's never met, would you please pray for me that as I go out, God will help my witnessing to be effective? I'm saying the very first thing is pray. And if to this point you've been faithful at witnessing but not faithful at praying before you go witnessing, that will help you to be more effective. I give you a second thing that we learn here in the text. Uh, look there in Colossians 4.3 again. He says, With all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance. You've already written down uh, the preparation for our effective witness, but would you write the second thing down, the place of our effective witness. Now, I've already alluded to this, but folks, I, I, I think we have 5,000 homes in our city. At least that's what they said 30 years ago. <laughs> 5,000 homes. Do you know your or my knocking on any of those doors is certainly an opportunity for any of those families behind those doors to hear the gospel? Certainly. But he's praying that God would open to him a door of utterance. There's a term that the old timers used to use. I don't think we use it quite as much. And that term is having a divine appointment. How many have ever heard something like that? A divine appointment is where God gets the right person in the right place at the right time with the right words. And that's what Paul is saying. You know, in the Bible, the word door, sometimes it's a physical door. Uh, we went and saw Noah's Ark or replica last week. 
and there's a huge door on the side of this. Sometimes the word door in the scriptures is a literal door. But other times that word door in the scriptures is an opportunity. Paul wrote this elsewhere. Uh, Paul said, for a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. So Paul didn't just want to generically go out. He was going to go up. But he said, Lord, if I'm going to go out and put an hour in, put three hours in, put three days in, God, I would certainly rather that you open and take me to a specific door where what I say can make a difference. Folks, if you're going to, if you're going to knock on 20 doors, wouldn't it be great if the Spirit of God said, go to that door? Okay, and now go to that door. I'm saying it would be great if God... That's what he's praying for. For God to make a divine appointment. You remember the book of Esther. We know in the book of Esther, a young Jewish girl through circumstances becomes the queen. Her kingly husband, King Ahasuerus, he, he, he reigns over 127 provinces. Those provinces stretch all the way from India to Ethiopia. This is a pretty important king. We know as you read through Esther that there is a wicked man, Haman. Haman has a plot to destroy the Jews. Mordecai comes to Queen Esther. And Mordecai says to Queen Esther, God has put you in this place at this time so that you can make a difference in all of these lives. I would suggest that that was a divine appointment. It wasn't a fluke. It wasn't luck. Uh, when you get there to John chapter 3, we, we, we find that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Why at night? There's a thousand answers for that, but it was a divine appointment where Jesus could speak to this religious man, and it paid big dividends because by John chapter 7, Nicodemus is standing up for Jesus Christ in face of the Pharisees. Uh, when you get to John chapter 4, I, I'm giving you Bible examples of divine appointments. John chapter 4, the Bible says Jesus had been down in the southern part Judea, and it says that he had an intention to go up to Galilee, which is north. And if you read there in John chapter 4, verse 2, 3, 4, 5, it says he must needs go through Samaria. Well, many of those Jews didn't. Many of those Jews crossed that Jordan River and went along, and they did not want to go through Samaritan territory. But Jesus says we're going. And you know that he goes to this well outside of Sychar and he sits on the edge of the well and he sends his disciples to get food. And that woman comes and, and she comes with her water pot at noon. And uh, Jesus strikes up a conversation and before it's done, that woman's saved. Before the chapter's done, multitudes of people. That was a divine appointment. So I'm saying, preacher, I, I know I should be a witness. I, I just, I, I, hmm. first pray. Put in much prayer before you go. Secondly, ask God to direct your steps. And so I say the second thing that he says is, consider the place 
of our effective witness. Um, uh, when we get there to Acts 8, keep your hand in Colossians. Look there in Acts chapter 8. Again, Acts chapter number 8. We know that uh, Philip is conducting a great revival in Samaria. Look there in uh, Acts 8 and verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Look there in verse 8, and there was great joy in that city. So Philip is, is proving to be very successful in his work in Samaria. You know the chapter, look there in verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, so he's in this midst of this great revival, verse 26, saying, Arise and go toward the south into the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Now that's just a strange thing. One, that he's asked to leave this revival. Two, he's asked to go to a certain way, way. Oh, you, have you got an address? No, just head down there and I'll show you. And here Philip is standing on this road. And it looks like, and I'll prove it to you in a minute, but it looks like there's dozens of chariots. There's, there's a number of people that are traveling. And I think that Philip began to pray, Lord, I could witness to all of these. Sure, I could. But Lord, who do you want me to speak to? So, well, where do you get that? Well, look there, Acts chapter 8 and uh, verse 29. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. I'm going to take from that that there was more than one. And Philip could have randomly tried to witness to all of those people. But he was asking God for a particular place, a particular part. And the Lord, in answer to his prayer, said, that chariot right there. We know the man got saved. We know the man got baptized after he got saved. History tells us that because he had come up from Ethiopia, he then took the gospel back. And Ethiopia, according to church history, was one of the first African countries to see a touch of God and a touch of revival. I'm saying to you, pray. Put in much prayer before you witness. I'm saying, ask God for the place. Now, uh, let me qualify that. Pastor, I've prayed and God hasn't told me a specific place, so I guess I'm off the hook. How many think that'll hold up before God? That won't hold up before God. If God hasn't pointed you to a specific place. We still have a responsibility to witness. But again, if you're going to put in the time, wouldn't it be great if God showed you the place? Pastor, how can I be a more effective witness? Uh, one, uh, the, the preparation before and much prayer. Uh, to the place. Uh, I give you a third thing. Look back there in Colossians 4 and verse 3. Pastor, I, I'm already committed to go. I'm already going to go, but I'd sure like to be more effective. Colossians 4 and verse 3. says, With all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance uh, to speak. What are you going to speak? To speak the mystery of Christ. Could I say the third thing about an effective witness is what it is you're trying to get across. I, I call it this, the proclamation of our effective witness. 
Folks, when we talk to people, be it on the street, be it at their door, be it on a break at lunchtime where you work, we could talk about a hundred subjects and it's not going to make a hill of a difference in eternity. And so here, Paul is saying, would you please pray that God would open a door of utterance to me so that I am able to speak to people about the mystery of Christ. I've said this before, but the name Christ means sent one from heaven. That's Christ. And so as we studied the book of 1 John and 2 John, how many times did we come across the statement, if someone does not believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the one that God sent from him. Folks, that is our message. And if we're not careful, we'll get sidetracked as we talk to people about 100 things. What do we think about the Jets game? Well, that is the Jets. <laughs> well, let me talk about something more important. Well, where do you think that Cain got his wife? You know, we'll talk about that later, but what's more important, what do you think about what do you think about the war in Israel? Do you know the devil will do everything he can to sidetrack us from what we're supposed to proclaim? And so uh, even as I was young and took soul winning courses, we were constantly reminded that you want to stay on track. Pastor, what could I possibly say that would make a difference in somebody's life? Well, you know what? You can give your testimony. You know, your testimony is different than anyone else's testimony. They can't steal your testimony. In my testimony, I grew up in church all my life. One day when I was 11 years old, my mother sat me down with a Bible and showed me I was a sinner needing a Savior. That day I trusted what Jesus did in the cross of Calvary to pay for my sins. That day changed my life. That's my testimony. And folks, that's what witnessing is. Be careful that we stay on track. I give you four things. So we've already seen the preparation for our effective witness. That's much prayer before and secondly, the place of our effective witness, and that's seeking God to open a specific door, the proclamation of our effective witness. And that is we're talking about Christ and what Christ has done, what Christ wants to do. I give you four things. Look there in verse five. Paul, as he continues on this thought, he says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. That word redeem means cherish. It means buy back. We have been redeemed. And it's Christ's blood that has redeemed us. Do you know the one thing that you cannot ever get back once is time? There's a lot of lost people that have been witness to and they've convinced themselves, I have lots of time to trust Christ. I wonder how many people are already in hell today that heard the gospel, that were convinced that that was true. But they just said, not now. They said, some other time. As true as it is that there will be multitudes in hell that we're convinced I have lots of time yet to trust Christ. I think there are many Christians that are likewise convinced I have lots of time to get serious about this business of witnessing. I can spend my younger years living it up. 
And when I get older, then I can get serious about witnessing. When Paul said redeeming the time, he talked about cherishing the time. You know what? If I had said this 10 years ago, you would have thought I was a Baptist preacher making it up. But I think as much as we have a freedom right now to openly witness for Christ, I think that door is closing. I read an article in a newspaper just yesterday where chaplains that are speaking at Remembrance Day services are now forbidden to pray. What? It, the, the soldier in the foxhole, as there were grenades blowing around, they were all praying. But now chaplains that speak at Remembrance Day services are being told, you, you know what I'm saying? I'm saying the door of opportunity to speak about Christ is closing. There are missionaries that we support in countries that cannot do what we're doing here. So Paul said fourth, if you haven't written this down, the priority of effective witness. It needs to be a priority. We have no idea how soon the liberty that we have with Christ is going to shut. Well, preacher, if the government forbade us to go publicly with the gospel, I'd go anyway. Listen to me closely. If you're not faithful witness now, when you still have the freedom to, you are not going to be a faithful witness when the government threatens a fine if you do. The answer is to do it while we can. That's why I said redeeming the time, cherishing every moment that we still have. We have a lot of liberties that many Christians in other parts of the world don't have. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. It didn't say no man will work. Jesus said there's going to come a, uh, come a time when we spiritually are not going to be able to do the work that God called us. We can't. We're prohibited from it. There are countries in this world where the door of missions is closing. There are places where missionaries used to be able to get in without a problem that they no longer can get in. And I'm saying in this business of witnessing, it's a priority. i give you the last thing. I'm done with this. Uh, look there, if you would, in Colossians 4 and uh, verse 3. Colossians 4 and verse 3. With all praying uh, also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance. Notice, he said, you're praying, but ultimately it's God that has to open it. It's God that has to. The last thing is the power behind our effective witness. Folks, it's not our words. It's not that you have a silver tongue. It's not that you have all the verses of the Bible memorized. The power of being an effective witness is not your words. It's God's words. For the word of God is quick and powerful. It's the Word of God, and it's the Spirit of God. And so that's what we're praying. Lord, would you please direct me 
would you please empower me? And Lord, it's not my logic, it's not my memorized phrases, it's not my statements. God, it's got to be your word and your spirit that does the work. But Lord, you won't do the work unless I enroll and I'm a part of it. I know that many of our people are already busy in soul winning. God bless you for it. I know that not all are. And I would encourage you, if you're not, this Saturday, come. We'll tag you up with something. You'll be fine. It'll be great. But you say, preacher, I do it, and, and, and I just don't feel very effective at it. Are you spending much time in prayer? Don't wait till Saturday morning. Start long time before that. Are you praying that God would clearly direct? That's the place. Are, are you remembering the message is Jesus Christ? Don't put it off another two weeks. Make it a priority. And finally recognize the power is the power of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And I heard this a number of years ago. There was a church that they would load up their Sunday school buses and, and they would take those buses to different communities in the big city. And once they got to that particular community, then people would just spread out and and one particular Saturday morning, there was an old man in the church. Boy, he just had a hard time walking. He had a hard time talking. In fact, his health was so bad that he had a little oxygen tank on wheels and a mask. And he wheeled his way up to one of those Sunday school buses. And the man, that was the captain of that particular bus, said to this, he said, Brother, I appreciate your willingness to come. But you know that you can't go door to door. You can't speak to people. Why don't you just stay home? He took his mask off and he said, Because I want to be counted with those that are going. And he said, Even if I can't go from door to door, I'm willing to stay on that bus and pray the whole time that God will empower our people. Folks, Paul thought it was such an important thing. Paul prayed that he would be effective. And then Paul asked people he'd never met before, would you pray that I would be effective? I'd suggest buttoning, buttonholing some people that you have confidence in their praying. And say, listen, I'm going to go out Saturday morning soul winning. But I know that you're a praying person. Would you please pray for me? That God will help me to go, that God will empower me, that God will give me the right words, that God will direct me to the right door. Folks, it just, it's just a good thing to be part of the crowd that's doing it instead of part of the crowd that's not.